0: can we talk about how useful we have found the Media Moves newsletter from
1: Cision? Yeah, I didn't know about this before and now I've signed up, it is so useful. You get a list on there every week of all the different people moving around different publications and basically you've got a ready-made list of commissioning editors with their contact details which you can then use when you want to pitch. It's so helpful. Yeah and on
0: top of that as a freelancer you can actually list yourself as looking for work and your details
1: so people know all about you and where to find you. Yeah it's so useful I'd really recommend people go and have a look at scission.co.uk click on journalist services and then have a look out for media moves and you can sign up for the newsletter there. Hello and welcome to Freelancing for Journalists. I'm Emma Wilkinson
0: and I'm Lily Cantor. We're both experienced freelance journalists and in each episode with the help of two fabulous guests we give practical tips on key issues you face when working for yourself.
1: And we're so pleased we're back for series seven, yay! It's great to be recording the podcast again.
0: Yes, it's really good to be back. And I'm really excited about this series. We've got some really good, excellent guests and some really fantastic topics. So it's great to be getting stuck in again.
1: Yeah, definitely. And to kick off the series today, we're going to be talking about photography. But before we get down to business, let's share our freelancing highlight of the week. So Emma, what's yours? So I'm going
0: to I'm starting with a really strong one this week I think I'm setting my bar really high here and I'm not going to beat this in future weeks um but an article that I wrote on medical school places um was mentioned in parliament this week um and I would never have known except a freelancer in our Facebook group was sitting in on the select committee hearing that we're talking about it and she messaged me because she knew it was my article um So obviously I went straight to Parliament TV to get that clipped and onto social media as fast as I could. Not shy about self-promoting when my work's getting talked about uh, in Parliament. Um, So yeah, it was
1: quite exciting. Uh,
0: Mm. What's
1: what's yours this week, Lily? Um, Well, I think this is a joint one really in that um, you and I, we had a meeting with a publisher this week and it was really, really positive. I think it was actually a bit more positive than we, we were expecting um and it was really great brainstorming session actually and it was really great to get that input and they were really keen to work with us so now we've just got to go away and come up with some ideas and kind of get the ball rolling so yeah that was exciting I'm looking forward to writing another book I think
0: yes it was kind of surprisingly positive but (laughs) lots of good ideas came out of it so yeah it's quite exciting Okay, so it's time to introduce this week's guests. We have with us photojournalist Craig Stennett. Craig has decades of experience working all over the world, including a year spent travelling around former Soviet Union states. He now lives in Germany working on a variety of projects related to political and social change. Um, He's been published in a very long list of places, but including The Telegraph, Times, Guardian. Time Magazine and Newsweek.
1: Yes, Um, we also have Norai Jamel, a freelance photographer, writer and videographer who's worked for National Geo UK, BBC Travel and The Telegraph, amongst others. Norai is based in London and is also the author of The Travel Photographer's Way, a practical guide to taking travel photos. So thank you for
0: both for coming on and providing your expertise today I'm really looking forward to hearing more about um, your work I'd like to start by getting a better understanding of how you ended up in your career so Craig I'll start with you your, your degree I think was in photography can you explain how you got into photojournalism from there and how your career developed?
2: It's quite some time ago that I, I finished my degree but traditionally then there was a, a sort of employment route into national newspapers. So I started on uh, regional newspapers. My first paper was the Galloway Gazette, which had more sheep than people, I think, as as readers. And then I went to the Merthyr Express at Celtic newspapers, and I spent about a year there. And then I resigned um, to cover a story that I was interested in in Asia. Um, I've kept uh, press cuttings files since I was about 18 and I still keep that now and go back and go through stories. Anyway, that story I did in Asia was luckily enough. Um, I won the David Hodge Observer Young Photojournalist of the Year Award uh, with that. And that got me a job on Robert Maxwell's launch newspaper back then, which was The European, um, which was a team of five photographers uh, we traveled all over Europe and the world covering stuff. Obviously, Maxwell died or was pushed off a boat, one of the two, uh, and the paper, well, certainly for the photographers, we were all, as they say, let go. So I moved then to the Daily Sunday Express, it was then, because uh, they were separate news desks or separate entities, they weren't seven-day operations. Uh, I was there for two years, and then I left the Sunday Express Um, and went to Moscow for FSP Gamma, uh, which is now folded um, to cover the ex-Soviet sort of Union states, so Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Ukraine, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I spent a year there, came back to London, and then joined the Sunday Telegraph, as it was then. Again, not a seven-day operation. And I've been with the Telegraph um, as a freelancer. Sorry, back then there was no staff photographers. It was all freelancers or regular freelancers. So I've worked for them for over 20 years, maybe even longer. And still, when I came to Germany, I, I freelanced for them here. Um, and I came here about 14 years ago. So that's pretty much the route. You know, there was a route of, of sort of staff employment, and then and a lot of people were actually giving up staff jobs on nationals in the early nineties to go freelance because it was a better income than actually being a staffer. That's ironically all changed now. Uh, and it's not so good economically to be a, a freelancer. Um, but that's pretty much the route that I took. Um, so, you know, I was yeah, lucky. That's,
1: that's, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and interesting that point you make about it, it, it used to be the case that it was, it was, you know, better off financially um, to be a freelancer. Mm. Nora, can we just come to you? What what was your kind of career path then? Is it something similar or did you take a different route?
3: No, completely different, to Craig. Um, I did quite a circuitous route into photojournalism and I had actually wanted to be a journalist when I was at university, I studied English. Um, I did a master's in theatre, so I was always about writing. Uh, my first job was in publishing. I was a copywriter. I used to write adverts for a recruitment company for a couple of years. Um, and I did a master's, I went travelling, I became a head of English um, in a school in Chile. Um, and I was also a literacy consultant for the um, when the Labour government <laughs> was in, and it was promoting school literacy. So it was always always words for me. Um, and I did some freelance work. Then I wrote some websites on education and literacy, etc. Um, and while I was living in Chile, I was travelling a lot and photographing a lot. And I'd always photographed, and I was I'd always drawn and painted. But it kind of wasn't something that I was trying to earn money from. Um, and i just kind of became quite a good photographer i guess Um, i studied it in chile i did a diploma in digital photography Um, i did some online courses as well and then i started traveling with professional travel photographers doing tours where you're kind of doing workshops as well Um, and people encouraged me to enter a few competitions and in 2008 i entered Wonderlust travel photographer of the year um, the Travel Photographer of the Year um, in the UK and a Canadian um, competition called um, Photo Life. It's a magazine in Canada. And I was shortlisted and came second in like a few of them. And so that was the beginning for me. And for three consecutive years, I entered Wanderlust Travel Photographer of the Year. In 2010, I, I won a category of it. And they commissioned me to go to Australia and shoot a travel feature. Um, And that was kind of the beginning for me. And then I came back, I was living in Chile for six years and I came back to London and that was kind of 2010. And from there I started to work with National Geographic and BBC Travel. So I've always, I guess now I have a, what you call a portfolio career in that because I started out as a writer um, and became quite a good photographer, you know, without obviously trying to, big myself up too much. Um, so I do a little bit of writing, a bit of photography. I also teach film. So um, I do some videography for uh, recently for The Times travel. Um, I've done BBC travel pieces of film. So my route, I guess, is a bit more secure because now I've written a book, which kind of for me pulls all my skills together because I've been a teacher for a long time. And the book is about, you know, how you go from being a kind of a keen traveler and a keen photographer to producing quite good travel content. Which seems to be the way forward now. So Craig's career is very different to mine, but you know, young people are Instagramming their stories, they're they're producing reels, they're kind of engaging immediately with people. It's less about the sort of long form content and more about the sort of immediacy. So there is a market for selling your travel videos, selling your photography, being a photojournalist. And sometimes I get commissioned on the basis of my writing and sometimes it's on the photography. So that's been quite good for me to be able to sort of move across. Yeah,
0: I mean, I, I've kind of, it's interesting that you started with writing and moved into photography and, you know, Craig started with a photography degree and then kind of moved into photojournalism more broadly. I mean, Nori, do you think it's useful for young journalists coming in today to have all those different skills, to do loads of, you know, different aspects and not focus on any one aspect of journalism?
3: I guess from what I would say, and this is what I say to students that I teach, is that obviously you start with one area. So I loved English. I loved, I loved my English degree. I wanted to be a journalist. I did a short journalism course after I graduated and that was kind of where I was going. And photography for me was something that I loved. So it was is secondary to my career. I never thought it was going to end up that I was doing it and earning money from it. But i would say that if you follow one path and you become very good at it then you should also be skilling up in other areas and it's not that difficult to become competent as a photographer to illustrate your own features and that as you say you know it's it's something that you're going to be asked to do as you go through your career so the more you keep learning and that's something that I've always done I've never stopped doing courses I've never stopped listening to other people I love meeting other photographers I love checking out their work looking at their career and seeing how they you know how they produce their content what their style is what their focus is and we're all very different obviously but so I think some people are kind kind of competitive in the industry and it's like oh she's doing better than me and he's just won an award like last night I had the i went for an award for my book and i didn't win but the person that did win is a great photographer so i was kind of happy to see what they were doing as well um so yeah keep learning i wouldn't say you should put pressure on yourself to be brilliant at everything because i think that comes with experience and like obviously we're you know I'm a bit older and I've done a lot some of my students say wow you've done so much and I say well you know that's incremental over decades it's not it didn't happen when I was Mm -hmm. 21 so just keep kind of thinking what's the next skill what do I really want to get better at put all your passions into it and you will actually become quite confident and quite adept I would say
0: yeah I mean obviously and you've both seen huge changes in the industry anyway so we all have to keep kind of adapting, it's kind of adapting to survive. Craig, can I just ask you um, how much you had to develop your writing skills in your role? Or is it, for you, is it more about, um, mainly about photography?
2: Um, I think it's sort of, when we used to file features, when I used to work for FSP Gamma, um, you'd always have to write about 1,000, 1,500 words to go with your, your set of pictures because that would then be distributed around magazines. So it'd be a basis that they could work from um, to write their own piece attached to your photographs. But what really changed was, was after the financial crash in 2008. And the first thing you sort of noticed was that the, the writers were still being sent to world events, but the photographers weren't from, from the sort of home base or home newspaper or magazine. They'd pick up um, either agency or local photographers. So in order to keep sort of covering stuff that I found uh, interesting, it sort of became inevitable to write the pieces as well. That said, um, I was quite fortunate because um, I always (coughs) travelled on pieces where they were commissions. I didn't do stuff speculatively, so it was a words, pictures package. And I think the first feature I did was in in Mozambique on a women uh, mine clearance unit. And that was for Reader's Digest in the UK. Um, so it, what I'm trying to say is that skill of journalism is, is should be universal to photographers and, and to the written word. Um, and it just became inevitable that I had to write features because you just didn't get to travel. You didn't get to cover stuff that was of interest um, to myself unless you took on that skill. Um, that said, I also wear two hats because I... I, I Work here also in Germany for Getty Editorial, um, so that purely is photo-based. Although obviously you're captioning, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But then I do stuff that's direct commissions, which are features, which are words and pictures. But because I come from a, a photographic background, I think I tend to look at stories um, that I want to cover if they'll be visual. And you know, I tend to think that the, that that you know, will the pictures work? Is this worth covering? Um, so that's really how it, it sort of panned out for me. It was a financial necessity, really, after 2008. If, if you still wanted to cover interesting stuff, then you had to write as well. Uh, and, I, and I really enjoy it. Um, I'm quite happy to do both. It gives you a lot of independence uh, and autonomy when you can put together an idea and you can pitch it and then you get a commission, which is really nice. And, and you sort of control it more than just feeding pictures in either to a photo agency or to just a newspaper or magazine. I think that's uh, that's it in a nutshell.
1: Yeah. And I think you're right. It's about moving with the times, isn't it? And and having those different skills and and making those changes if you need to. Um, and like you, Nora, you said, sort of always sort of trying to improve and build your, your skill set. Um, so I'm, I'm interested really in the commissioning side because, Craig, you mentioned there that you, you do pieces that are, are commissioned. Um, if you were doing something that was just photography, how would that commissioning process work? Is it the same as words? Would you, would you just pitch, you know, the story mm, that
2: way? It, it, it's the same in terms of you're pitching an idea Um, But then i I pitch them to different desks, obviously, if it was just the way it works here in Germany is I I, I mainly freelance for the the Daily Telegraph here uh, as a photographer. But I work with um, their correspondent here in Berlin. So I'll talk to him each week about what's going on in Germany. We tend to come up with ideas or I'll put up ideas that I've seen to him. He'll then put it through his news desk or the foreign desk rather which actually historically within papers, if it comes through the the word section, it carries more weight than if it comes through the picture desk. So he'll put an idea up that I've spoken to him about, so then we'll go and cover it. Um, In terms of the the features, well, in terms of the features that I write, then that's directly as as a story. Um, I'll have a, a sort of stock of pictures that I can use. I do quite a lot of stuff on the far right here in Eastern Germany. Uh, for UK publications and I have a back catalogue of work photographically that I've produced uh, on them so that always ties in with the words. If it's like last Saturday I was covering the demonstration in uh, Berlin in support of um, Ukrainians obviously over the the war that's unfolding and that was straight for Getty so that was an assigned uh, commission Picture orientated captions, and that was it. So it's two hats really that I wear, um, but the process is still the same. You pitch them to desks. You just possibly have different emphasis on 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 how you're putting that 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 pitch together, uh, and hopefully someone picks picks up on what you're suggesting.
1: Yeah, and that idea of kind of working with a reporter as well and having those contacts and networks, I think is.
2: is... I think that's essential, really. Um, you know there's lots of publications i'd like to to work for but invariably unless i i don't know someone there or have some contact you know i don't get a reply to an email um which is quite normal so yeah those links that you make through your your career and, and from college actually um you know they stay with you uh, as you sort of move on up the food chain, as they say, um, and and getting commissions.
1: Yeah, and I think that's really really reassuring for our listeners to hear that, you know, someone like yourself that's got so much experience, like even you don't get an answer from certain desks. (laughs) Um, And like you say, it is all about those connections that you make along the way. Um, Nora, can I just come to you? Could you tell us a bit about how it works in travel in terms of that sort of commissioning process? And, you know, if you're having to travel to another country... Is that built into it as well with expenses? How, how does that all work? Yeah, I mean,
3: obviously the last couple of years have made travel photography and travel writing quite tricky. And what Craig was saying about using um, photographers who are based in, in sort of certain territories, that's been happening. So, you know, we haven't been able to fly really. And I actually quite like that idea because with um, climate change issues maybe we shouldn't be flying all over the place to report on a story that a local photographer could do and i think that people are sort of rethinking how they work in travel now which probably is a good idea Um, for me it's a mixture and i have photographed features for other writers for national geographic for example where they've sent somebody to seville they have taken some pictures um, but not quite what they wanted. So they've needed a photographer to sort of go. And that will be um, arranged through the, usually through the tourist board. But the thing about travel photography is they don't really want you to go for very long because they don't want to have to pay too much for you to stay in a hotel and fly you out there. And, you know, if you want to get a really nice feature, you need to be there for more than a day. You can run around as a writer and get enough information and come back and write it. But if you're waiting for the light to be, you know, if they want a nice big double page spread, that's really sort of aspirational for a, you know, Condé travel or something like that. They don't just want a a piece of photojournalism that is sort of um, documentary in style. They want something quite advertorial, quite luscious. And you do have to wait for the right light. So that can be quite tricky. And a lot of travel photographers who I know, they do do speculative work. They do try to plan trips where they know they're gonna get some stock photography. They might sell to a picture library as well. And they might pitch two or three stories to two two or three different editors and i've managed a few times in my career to get quite a lot of work out of one trip um so you kind of pay a little bit more yourself to stay a bit longer and hope that that reaps you know dividends in the end but with commissioning again it is down to who you know so when i was working when i won a few so one Wonderlust, and i went to a few different um travel shows met quite a lot of people in london was just starting out, had a business card, and I was doing some work for a charity in South America because I had been living in Chile. Um, and I met somebody at an event that was a fundraiser for South America. And I didn't know this, but they were uh, a, an art director's assistant at National Geographic Traveller in the UK. And they just passed my card on to the um, the art director and he emailed and said, have I got anything for this? And I did, and that was kind of the beginning for me. So. You know you just don't know who you're going to meet and definitely networking is so important but not in the way that you're always trying to sort of ingratiate yourself with people i've seen that a lot where i've been elbowed out of the way to talk to somebody who's actually a friend of mine because they're an editor that's not nice behavior <laughs> um so be a good person but go to things and chat and just you just don't know who's going to be the person that so, "Oh, so i met this really great guy who's a you know really good writer and we should you know you should contact him because he was saying that He's, a, you know, he's, he's photographed, he was written about the far right in Germany. So just hearing a podcast where you think, oh, he's the guy we should talk to. Um, and yeah, being a good person is, is really key. Um, and also doing the job well. So once you get a commission, you know, you're there, you're doing it. Deliver, do what they want, not what you want. Sometimes I've had my photos selected for a feature that I wouldn't choose myself because I don't think they're the best photos, but they tell the story better. So I've learned to be more of a photojournalist for certain publications and i know what they want Um, similarly if you work for bbc travel you can't take press trips you can't get help they won't accept the work so that is quite tricky to sort of figure out but if you can get the commission they do pay better than other platforms so you can kind of afford to do it if you then get another story out of that trip which is what i always try to do so it's hard to make a living as a travel journalist, I would say, unless you are constantly working for the same publications and being commissioned every month for that um, publication. But there are lots of online platforms that I work with and those smaller jobs do build up in the end. So, um, yeah, and the commissioning process is, I do pitch for work and I do get commissioned. So it's a kind of a balance and I probably pitch as much as I get commissioned or more, and I probably get rejected less than I used to. But this its constant, you know, you're constantly cutting one idea that doesn't get taken up by one publication, you repackage it, you pitch it elsewhere, eventually it lands, I would say. So be resilient and don't take it personally. It's not about the quality of your work. It's always about the timing, how busy, but it, editors are so busy. You know, sometimes I'll meet one at something and they'll say, oh, you emailed me about that, didn't you? I really like that idea. But I just was so uh, you know, so overwhelmed that week, I forgot to come back to you. So follow up, They always say follow up after a week. Don't pester, but definitely follow up. Um, And if you don't hear back after a couple of follow ups, repackage and pitch. And I now repackage and pitch much more quickly than I used to. Because I kind of think, I really want to do this story. I really think this is a you know newsworthy or topical or it's interesting to me. And I want to go in two weeks, not in two years. So I'm going to just send it out and see if anyone you know thinks it's a good idea. But don't offer it at the same time to too many people. Because if they all come back and say, yes, you're in big trouble. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. It's so interesting because obviously you're working in a completely different field to Lily and I. But so many of the things that you said there were the exact advice that we always give out. And I was particularly interested with what you said about maximizing opportunities, because obviously you can see why that's so important in travel when you're doing trips and the expense associated with that. But we always say that as well for, you know, features or news or anything, just multiple bites of the cherry, can you repackage it and use it somewhere else? Have you got a case that you didn't use that you can turn into something else? Just kind of making, trying to be um, efficient, I suppose. So that's really, really good advice. Um, I mean, one of the things that Lily and I have seen over our sort of 20 years in um, journalism is this growing expectation that the journalist will be the one to provide the photos. Um, and obviously you touched on this, Craig, about photographers, you know, the, the the model of how they're employed changing and perhaps photographers being squeezed out in some places. Um, I just wanted to sort of dig down a bit more into the impact of that over your, over the years, how your field has changed, how that's impacted your, your work and your income, I suppose.
2: Me? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Sorry, (laughs) Craig. Yeah. That one's to you. Uh,
2: Yeah. It, it, it's certainly grimmer than it was. And I think uh, certainly over my timeline, you know, a lot of people have gone to the wall really um, because they couldn't keep uh, the business side going. So that, that's not good. Yeah. I suppose, I think it's something uh, Nori said that you, if you've been working for a certain amount of time, you build a back catalogue of work that you can place and derives a certain amount of income from photo agencies, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't really know how to answer this, actually. It, it, it's constantly... A sort of battle trying to find commissions trying to find avenues for your work again nori was right and and what you were saying is right you know you take one feature that perhaps you've been commissioned to to cover and you'll repackage it and and try and place it elsewhere or there when you're in a country something i do probably for the last 10 years which i didn't used to do which i wish i had i'd also shoot stock imagery of when i'm in a certain place because that can that can be placed and that will derive an income so I suppose there's various ways um, that you now work. I, th- I think the bottom line is, you know, if, if you haven't got enough money coming in, you can't keep going um, and you need to make sure something is sort of secure or your overheads are really low so you can stay within the business effectively uh, and still produce work. And then hopefully something will come along um, I think that's that's what I think.
1: No, right, it, I'm not it,
2: sure it was a great explanation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no no it, it, it. I mean it's tricky isn't it because there's so much that's shifted and I just wonder Nora, you mentioned earlier about you know obviously social media and Instagram and that sort of instant photography and video sort of travel journalism I mean what is the impact being do you think on on your career or on travel photographers in general you know is it more difficult to find work now are are sort of you know professional photographers being squeezed out um
3: I'd say that um no that's not happened really but I think at first there was a fear that you know the it's really easy to see a thumbnail on Instagram and think it's a great photograph, but those usually those photographs don't they don't um, enlarge very well, and photo editors do still no quality, so they're not really commissioning those people that would be on Instagram. But the thing about it being an Instagrammer or a blogger is that you can do the work that you want to do because tourist boards love the immediacy of that. So you will get hosted in the Maldives if you have a, lot, a big, fo- I mean, I'm, I don't have a big following on anything. Um, I just try to do quality work. But I know if I was 20 years younger, and maybe better looking, I might be <laughs> using myself as the focus of my work. But there is, there's a, I think there's so many platforms now that I don't think anyone is impinging on anyone else's um, sort of domain. But the thing I have noticed is that it is, little bit harder to earn money from picture libraries i've never really done that but i know a lot of Mm -hmm. photographers who started out 20 30 years ago and that was their main source of income and it's become i met somebody actually i was teaching photography on a ship in patagonia a couple of weeks ago and there was a a really nice guy who was had a career elsewhere but he was a very keen photographer and a tourism board had seen his pictures of a particular country and asked him if they could use them and he'd said yes for free and I was like, please don't do that because I might try to sell my photos to that tourism board and you're, you've got another income as a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer and you really are kind of devaluing the photography that we're doing. So that's made it harder. And digital photography, obviously, it's so ubiquitous and and it's so easy to get it for free and not everyone has quality control some people will just accept a photo from somewhere and that's good enough Uh, but this i think there's still with some of the print magazines that have folded and some of the newspapers that are not really paying for photography there are lots of online things that are coming all the time that do pay for photography and do pay for photojournalism so i think it's just looking for other um platforms for your work but it isn't i don't think it's easy i don't think anyone i know who's a travel journalist is just doing that uh, most of the writers i know are also copywriting and i did some work for a hotel brand recently and earned more money writing copy about a country for a hotel website than i would for you know working for wanderlust maybe or somebody like that and it's quicker writing as well so looking at other avenues so you know, as a photographer, there is lots of other work you can do if you're based in one place. And I don't—I've never really done weddings and that kind of thing, but they do pay well. So I think it's sort of thinking about what your skills are, and if you need to keep going, and you really want to work in this industry as a travel photographer, don't necessarily poo-poo doing the odd wedding or doing the odd. Event because that can't kind of, you know, events photography also is very well paid. I don't do that because it's just not me, but I know if I wanted to just survive as a photographer, that probably is what I'd be doing. And portraits, that kind of thing, headshots, commercial work.
1: I think fantastic
3: um, advice.
0: Yeah, Go on, sorry, Lily. yeah,
1: yeah. I think, um, what I was going to say it was really interesting that point you made about um, the person giving their photos to free to the tourist board because that was something else we wanted to ask about was. Certainly, I find um, because I write a lot of features that usually I'm asked to provide the photos as well. Um, and sometimes that can be, um, you know, just a collect pick from the, the source itself. You know, they want some kind of head and shoulders picture or maybe something in situ. Um, but occasionally, you know, I might go and do a face to face interview and take some photos as well. Um, and I found it difficult to get those publications to pay for those photos. You know, they, they think, you know, great, it's an added bonus if you can get some pictures for for us, as well as the words, but we're not paying, we're not paying for them. And I just wondered if, you know, advice, what advice you would give to like freelance journalists who are perhaps increasingly having to source photos or take photos, um, you know, how how to get paid for that work and should they be pushing back in and asking for money but for those photos Craig what what's your take on this
2: yeah this is a real nightmare actually and, and quite problematic um yes they should be paid uh for doing that additional work I suppose it it's it's it then boils down to the publication you work for um you know as you go up the food chain the higher end magazines and newspapers will Insist on sending their own, still insist on sending their own photographer to, to make a portrait for to illustrate the piece that you've written. Um, but then, you know, some certainly through the words that I do, the word features, it's kind of what I'm paid. It's it's accepted that that also includes providing photographs, a set of pictures to go along with a feature that I'm doing somewhere. So they're kind of baked into the agreement in the first place. In fact, it's never really been discussed if I think about it. It's just accepted that I, I'm going to produce a picture story and I'm going to produce a feature. Um, but, yes, certainly, I don't know. You know, it, it, it's very tricky. I don't really have an easy answer. I think Nori's right. If you provide pictures for free, then you undermine a new undermine the market significantly um i suppose one story a couple of weeks ago i was approached by a tv station here in germany and and the first um email was oh you know so usually we love your pictures could (laughs) could we possibly use them you know and blah blah blah. how fantastic you are for free at the end and i pointed out that i presume you're paid for your job so similarly i'd like to do the same. So they came back again, and I said, they're actually filed with Getty uh, now, that set of images. So you could go through Getty, you'll find it's not actually horrendously expensive to use those pictures. And they came back a third time uh, offering me just a one-off fee not to go through Getty, which was still less than the Getty rate. And I just referred them back again to the agency because it, it's a film company, so they should have a budget for that. Um, so I suppose you have to weigh it up, who you're working for, who's approaching you. But the general rule, Nori is right, don't supply your own pictures for free. Um, Have it built into the initial commissioning package so there's some acceptance that you're taking pictures as well. Um, And if anyone sends you an email saying, can we use your pictures for nothing, say no.
0: Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's about not falling into that trap of just assuming that that will happen for free and always pushing back and pushing back and saying, "Okay, this is going to be extra work, so you're going to have to increase the... Um, the budget because I found in um, features when you end up getting the photos I'm usually interviewing doctors and medics so they will have you know head and shoulder shots of themselves but actually getting them to send it in a usable form Mm -hmm. takes longer sometimes than writing the piece so yeah you do need to be kind of remunerated for the work that you're doing so you've both given some really really practical fantastic insight today so to round up I'd like you um, to ask you both your sort of one top bit of takeaway advice from today's chat. So Craig, I'll ask Gosh. you, <laughs> put you on the spot uh, and I'll come <laughs> to you first. Is there kind of one thing that you. Uh,
2: yeah, I think it, you just have to try to get yourself in a position where financially you can keep, keep going. And if you have a, a, a small amount of talent, uh, a, a great deal of luck, then then you know as long as you can stay in the game then then that's really the way forward that I think that's your, your sort of primary goal really that you should try to do in whatever way you can. Um so I think that's what I think I take from freelancing yeah. after all these decades. Keep
1: keep at it. Keep yeah going. definitely <laughs> and Nora how about you? What would your sort of one takeaway be from today's chat? I guess Diversifying
3: your skills and looking outside of the one thing. So you want to write for Nat Geo, that's great. That's not going to happen, obviously, every month for you. So if you get a couple of features with Nat Geo over a year or a couple of years. That's great. But all the other things you could be doing that will build up to earn you money, including um, business to business, copywriting, etc. Don't just look at the big platforms that are kind of the you know the glossies and the uh, the sort of sexy ones go for the, the work across the board and you can have a portfolio career you can earn enough um and yet yeah, use your skills and i guess with that is to keep keep training yourself as well keep learning um new areas as the industry progresses when we'll probably be doing vr next <laughs> um yeah <laughs>
1: brilliant well we're gonna wrap up now but just before we do um we would like to kind of share our appreciation for other freelancers so um we're going to ask you both if there's a freelance journalist or freelance uh, pho- photographer or photojournalist that's caught your eye recently someone perhaps who's been doing some really good work or someone you just admire um so craig could we come to you first who would your recommendation be
2: yeah, it's, it's a chap called Jörg Luchen, uh, who's based in Berlin, and he has brought out uh, his own publication online called The German Review. And I think you can get that on Substack. And uh, you can also get the free version, which is obviously the edited down releases that he does through LinkedIn. And I find his stuff really well written. Uh, it's all about Germany so I find it of interest. It's in English as well so it gives you a good sort of basis of what's happening in the country and, and I really like his, his style of writing. I wish I was as good.
0: That's a really good shout out. Thanks ever so much Craig for that one. Uh, Nori, same question to you.
3: Oh, there's so many people that I could recommend and that I follow and their work, whose you know, whose work I, I admire. But someone recently that I've sort of met and been looking at what she's doing is Zoe Goto. And she's writing a book at the moment that's based in the deep south of America. But she's been going there to do research trips. And while she's there, she's producing all kinds of content. So travel writing, but she does think she's just done something for um, an architectural magazine on um on design and she's really good at sort of seeing the opportunities while she's doing her research for a book to be doing travel pieces food pieces architectural pieces and that's kind of and i do admire that in a writer or a photographer that can go outside of their genre and not be just classified as a travel person or a novelist or a writer um and she's been doing so many pieces i think it's all power to her it's fabulous and she's a great writer as well
1: brilliant another great recommendation and we'll add both of those to our show notes so our listeners can go and check them out as well thank you both so much it's been really fascinating um and just so many overlaps really with with lots of things we've been talking about on the on the podcast today um so i hope our listeners will take away a lot of useful tips from today absolutely
0: it was really interesting um If you want to make more connections, come and join
1: our Freelancing for Journalists Facebook community where we now have 5,000 members. Yes, and we're over on Twitter at Freelancing4 and you can follow us individually. I'm at Lily Cantor. And I'm at Emma Journo. And we also want to
0: say thanks to our research assistant, Helen Quinn, and our producer, Maddy Drury. And we'll be back next
1: week, but goodbye for now. Bye.